Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of Receiving the Baton. And now, here is Pastor John with today's message. All the next generation together, why didn't they say, look, God has, has, has told us to drive these people out. Don't mix and mingle with them. Get them out. But we're old and we're tired and we're tired of fighting and we're just not going to get it done. So guys, we need you to step up and to go finish what God told us to do and get, him, get them all fired up and send them out to do the work of the Lord. But that's not what happened. Joshua and Caleb were mighty men of God. And they were, they, they were incredible at doing what God had called them to do. But they and their generation failed at passing it on to the next generation. It wasn't enough for one generation to serve the Lord. That's not what God called them out of Egypt to do. God had made a covenant with them that was to, that was to last from generation to generation to generation. But the Bible says as soon as Joshua's generation died, Israel began to take its long walk away from the Lord that ultimately ended in the annihilation of the nation of Israel and their slavery again. Now, now here's the statement. That's the context of the verses that we just read. Here's the statement that might shock you, and I want you to, I want you to understand this. Today is the day we celebrate graduates, and I'm, I'm glad we've got students in here, young people in here. We, we, we've, got, we've also got some, some people who are young in the Lord, people who have not yet, for one reason or the other, engaged in the work of the kingdom. And so I, I want to I speak to you today, and I want to speak with that understanding and that context. Here's a statement. If, if research... If research proves to be true, we're going to, in, just a, in the next service, we have nine high school graduates uh, out of this church. Nine kids graduating from high school. We have two that, that graduated from college this year as well, so we're going to celebrate that in the next service. But if research holds true, of the nine students that we line up across this platform today, seven or eight of them will not be back in this church more than a handful of times. Now, I want, that to, I want that to settle in on you. That's according to the research. But listen, it's not just the research. That's my 26 years of, of experience, 10 of which was in youth ministry, watching my kids leave and not come back. Many of these students grew up in this church. They were in the nursery. They were in the kids' ministry. They, they, they've come on Wednesday nights. They've been to youth camp. They've been to youth group. They've done all of that stuff. And yet, according to the research, the vast majority of church kids, not the world, of church kids, I'm talking the 85-90% range of church kids will graduate from high school and will not return to church, any church, for at least 10 years if they return at all. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. God's plan for a healthy church. More importantly, His plan for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the continuance of the faith that He bled and died for has always been multi-generational. One generation teaching the next generation, training them, teaching them, helping them. The Apostle Paul spoke of, uh, of running the race with patience. You remember that? 
He said, I've run my race. You've got to run this race with patience. The writer of Hebrews said the same thing. But perhaps, and, and maybe that's the best imagery to use is this idea of a race. And specifically, I think, a relay race. Are we so old that we've forgotten relay races? Y'all remember those? We, at least every four years in the Summer Olympics, you get to watch the relays, right? I love watching the relays on, on TV. And it's always an interesting press. It's not just exciting. It's interesting to me from a leadership perspective because it's not just the race itself. Sometimes it's even the selection process that's exciting. There's all, almost always drama in the selection process. Why? Because it's usually not the four absolute fastest runners that get chosen for the team. There's almost always a runner who's sort of on the, on the twilight of his, his or her career that makes the team. Not quite as fast as the young bucks who are coming up. Not quite as fast as, as they used to be, but still they're chosen for the team. Why, why is that? Why wouldn't you just grab the four fastest jokers and stick them out there? Because it's not, it's not just a race, it's a relay. It's a relay. And the passing of the baton is no joke. A lot of faster teams have been undone by the passing of the baton. You remember seeing that? Y'all watch, watch TV? All right, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of really fast teams have lost because they couldn't pass the baton. It's the most difficult part of the race. The running part's the easy part. It's getting the baton from run, one runner to the other that is the problem. Teams practice it over and over again. A lot of these guys on the relay team, they carry the baton with them just to, just to get the feel for it and understand. Because it's one thing to run fast. It's another thing to run fast together and successfully pass the baton from one runner to the next. And that's why sometimes the best relay person is not the fastest, but the one who is sure and steady and experienced. Passing the baton is precisely what God has called us to do as a church. You'll see the imagery here. Would you agree with me here that he has called us to do this as a church? Because it doesn't matter how great we are at running it doesn't matter how great we are at doing the work of the ministry. If we can't successfully pass on the gospel to the next generation, then we've all lost the race. See, there's all kinds of reasons why today's churches are struggling with this. Why so many of our young people are leaving the church. And we could talk about that for hours. But, but here's what we do know. The young people who stay in church... There's a book called Sticky Church, and it's about how do you keep your kids stuck at church, where they won't leave. And what we know from the research is that the ones who stay are the ones who are actively involved in the work of the ministry. I'm not talking about attending service or youth group or functions or coming and sitting. I'm talking about the ones who are, who are working, who are serving, who are teaching, who are helping who are leading, who are cleaning, who are doing whatever it is. Their hands are, are dirty in the work of the ministry. Now let's get real personal for a second. Covenant life. Are we committed enough to passing the baton that, we're, that we'll be patient with these young people while they develop their gifts? Can we do that? Are we patient? Does it mean enough to us that we can see the big picture? 
while they're developing and learning? Are, are, we, are we mature enough to enjoy worshiping God and serving God, maybe in ways that we weren't accustomed to? Or are we open to fresh ideas? Y'all don't shout me down now. Get all crunk about this. Are we open to fresh ideas? Are we open to doing things that maybe we didn't think of? Do we have enough grace to allow a young leader to learn and grow and make mistakes without, without calling out the lynch mob? See, we're losing a generation of leaders and servants of God, children of God. We're losing them. And if we're not careful, we'll be just like the Joshua generation. We'll get to the end of our lives or the end of our ministries and we're ready to go see the Lord and we'll turn around and there'll be nobody behind us to carry on. Nobody qualified. Nobody interested. We have to create an atmosphere for our students, for our young people, for those young in the Lord. We have to create an atmosphere where people want to stay and learn and serve. And listen, we have to do it intentionally. It won't happen accidentally. Because we'll get comfortable at doing what we do. The calling, the anointing, the giftings of God are, are on our lives and we're serving and we're serving passionately and we, we love what we're doing. But we have to intentionally sometimes get out of the way so somebody else can step up and learn how to do it. We have to bring them alongside and show them the way. When my car breaks down, I call Carrie Moody. I'm sorry about that, but that's just what I do. Been doing that for about 15 years. Carrie comes over and he, and he, and he, and he, he uh, fixes things. So we've, we've talked about my lack of mechanical skills. Every time something tears up, we talk about my lack of mechanical skills. My dad could fix anything. We never had a car. We had never had a new car while I was in school. I mean, it, I was out of school before we ever had a new car. Daddy bought the cheapest, ugliest things you have ever seen in your life and he kept them running some I don't know how he kept them running but he was he worked on cars a lot how is it that I don't know anything about cars my daddy could fix everything about a car how, how is that something didn't get passed from one generation to the next I don't know because he was he was a firefighter he worked and he'd get home 7 or 8 o'clock, and I remember holding the flashlight while he's trying to fix the car. Y'all ever done any of that stuff? I was the flashlight holder while I wasn't getting curious and looking at something else while he's trying to fix, you know. I held the flashlight while he fixed the car, and, and, and I know he was tired. I don't know if he didn't offer to show me. I don't know if he didn't offer to teach me how to change the brakes and how to, how to do all this stuff, or if I just wasn't interested. But for whatever reason, the connection didn't get made. And so my daddy's 84 years old. I clearly don't call him when my car breaks down and everything's a computer now. So, you know, I don't call him. But why didn't it happen? We have to be willing to teach the next generation to slow down. And I know when it's 9.15 and you've worked all day and you're trying to get the car running for in the morning, it may not be the time, but at some point we have to slow down and, and, and show the next generation how to do what we're doing. We have to be willing as a church, not just to run fast, but learn how to pass the baton. 
You say, John, now you, you're scaring me. You know, we're going to just like tear our church upside down. We're going we're gonna to come in next week and everything's going to be completely different. No, no. You, you know what this generation wants more than anything? They want authenticity and integrity. They want something that works, like really works, and they want people who, who, who they can believe in, people that they can trust. They, 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 they're not worried about fog and lights. They're not worried about all the fancy stuff. They're not worried about the big buildings and, the, and all of that stuff. They've been there and done that. You can't impress this generation. We ain't got the money to impress this generation with lights and fog and technology and the show. What we better figure out how to do is be the church because God can impress every generation with his power and, and, and the reality of the, of the deity. That's what they're impressed. That's what they're searching for. That's what they're longing for. People who actually live what they believe. They want leaders who are honest and approachable. They want somebody that will show them not just the what, but the why, and then give them some room to figure out the how for themselves. And at the end of the day, that's what a biblical church has always been about. So I'm talking about developing a mindset, developing a passion that understands that success is more than doing things well. It's about passing it on to the next generation. And it's a process. It's a process. But it's a process that we have to start and we have to maintain and it's, it is my biblical mandate to do that as a pastor. I want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 4. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. Jesus gave these gifts to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. You hear people talk about the five-fold ministry. That's what that is. It's the gifts. You hear about the gifts of the Spirit. Those are the gifts of Jesus. Their responsibility, so as a pastor and a teacher, is my responsibility to do what? equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ my job is not so much to do the work of the ministry but to train people to do the work of the ministry that means people people are who are just getting saved people who are maybe young and, and growing into adulthood, or, or maybe those who have been saved for a long time, but for whatever reason are not engaged in the work of the ministry. So in essence, it's my job to pass the baton, pass the work of the ministry from me to you, and then in turn, it, it, you have to turn around and, and, and pass it to the next generation. We have to do this intentionally. We have to do it on purpose. If you... If you watch a race, there are moments when both runners have their hand on the baton, right? They make sure that thing has been, has been firmly grasped by the, the, the following runner so that it doesn't get dropped, because when it gets dropped, the race is over. That's the training piece. That's what we're doing to get, we, that's why we don't just, they don't toss the baton to the next runner. You both put your hands on it. You both carry it for a little while. It, it, that's the training and the equipping part of the process. So let me kind of sum this up for the church, and then I want to talk to the younger people or those who are not involved in, in the work of the ministry yet. The leadership gurus tell me that, uh, that as a leader, what you have to do is define the win. You have to make it very clear. 
and very understandable. So here's the win. Here's the point of this message. If we have great church for the next 20 or 30 years, we see souls saved, we see people baptized in the Holy Spirit, we see people becoming disciples, really doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we do that for the next 20 or 30 years, but we haven't trained the next generation of people to come along behind us, then we have failed in our mission. We have to pass the baton. So here's where this pivots to the next, to the next generation, the next group of people. I want to tell you students, I want to tell you others in that generation or others who are not serving yet. If you're young in the Lord, you're not actively engaged. I want to tell you this, we will be a church who lets you learn. We will be a church who runs with you. We will offer you grace when you make mistakes. We will be patient with you while God works on you and in you and through you. We will run together jointly holding the baton. But listen to me, at some point the pass gets made. At some point you have to receive and carry the baton. You have to share the goal of winning the race. Well, what's, how do you win this race? By going and making disciples. That's never going to change. It can't change. Spreading the gospel is what this is all about. And that's what this race is, is designed to do. So, so I'm telling you today, many of you are on the brink of, of, of going away to college or going to the military or, or, or training for a career or a trade or a skill or whatever, and that's great. But I hope you will also hear me and realize that you are needed in the church as well. We need you to stay in the church. We need your gifts we need your talents. We need your leadership. We need your insights. We need your energy and your passion. We need, we need your unjaded perspective on things. We need you in the church. But guess what? You need us too. We will run together, but we have to run together we have to do it to have to learn to the, we have to learn from each other so i'm telling you you can learn from me and you can learn from the other leaders the other members as we do the work of the ministry together as you demonstrate your readiness we'll give you responsibilities we'll give you opportunities we owe you that but there will come a time when you have to be ready to take the baton and run it'll take time It'll take, it'll take character. It'll take a lot of hard work. But I believe you can do it. And I believe that you can take the ministry of covenant life into the next two or three generations or more as you continue to do what God has called you and equipped you to do and pass the baton to the people who come behind you. The Joshua generation failed to pass the baton. We cannot fail to pass the baton. So I want to I circle back now to the opening scriptures and I want to I talk about, real quickly, talk about some things about receiving the baton. And these things are true no matter, no matter where you are in this race, in this process. You may be a young person or you may be just trying to figure out how to get involved in ministry, but, but I want you to understand this as you're trying to take the baton from the previous runner and, and, and still learning and running together, there are three things I want to point out. Here's the first thing. There will still be enemies. 
there will still be enemies when you take the baton. Listen, when you read the first chapter of Judges, you read verse after verse after verse about this tribe failed to run out all of the enemies. This tribe failed to defeat the enemies. This tribe was supposed to do that, but they wouldn't get out of the way, so they went and lived over here. That They were supposed to have defeated and destroyed the enemies, but they didn't. Let me tell you something. If you're about to get in, in, involved in the work of the ministry, then, then the church that you inherit... The church you inherit will have enemies. You'll face enemies. I'm not talking about the people in the world. The people in the world are not our enemies. They're the reason we exist. I'm talking about the enemies that are inside the church. The church that you inherit will will be full of cynicism and racism and laziness and idol worship and gossip and rebellion and false doctrine. Why? Because not everybody who comes to church is a believer. And not everybody who claims the name of Jesus actually knows Him and obeys Him. Just because you, listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but just because you learn to teach and preach and live the truth does not mean everybody's going to love you. You will still have enemies to face. Don't get discouraged by that. Don't get surprised by that. The church has always faced enemies. Just read the New Testament. If you read the two letters of Paul to Timothy, they're pastoral letters. Paul, Paul was at the end of his, his life and ministry. Timothy was at the beginning. And you see a man, Paul, who is passing the baton to young Timothy. And he tells him some things that we need to listen to and learn and put into practice. He said, Timothy, preach the truth. Don't be afraid of anybody. Preach the truth. Stay strong. Don't get intimidated. Don't back down in the face of your enemy. And the same is true today. No matter what you do, you will face criticism and problems and resistance. You will have enemies. But just be sure that you're suffering for doing the right things and not suffering for doing the wrong things. When you commit to doing what God's called you to do, God will fight with you and for you. He'll defend you. He'll protect you. It's not going to be easy. There will be enemies to face. But don't stop. Let that stop you from doing what God has called you to do. When you receive the baton, there will still be enemies. But listen, we will show you how to fight. Here's the second thing I want us to see from this failed transition of the Joshua generation. Not only will there still be enemies, but you have to be bold and courageous. You have to be bold and courageous. Listen, the work of the Lord is not for wimps. We are facing enemies who are not of this world. Ephesians says we have no flesh and blood enemies. We don't have, it's not people that we're fighting with. Our our enemies are not seen, but they are very real and they are powerful. But I got good news for you today. I got good news. Just like God told Joshua when he took over from Moses, I want to tell you this today. Be bold and courageous. Don't let fear dictate your decisions or cause you to freeze up or to flee in fear. Pray. Seek God. Find out His will. And then when you know what He wants you to do, go all in and go do that. There is 
There is power in the name of Jesus. Forgive me for not telling you that more often and more clearly and more passionately, but we serve a God who is able to do anything, and He will give you everything you need to accomplish His will. Listen, the enemy is strong, but God is stronger. Greater is He that is in us than any enemy we're ever going to face in the world. So make bold decisions. Be strong and courageous. You can trust His Word. So have faith and have courage. You have to be bold and courageous to advance the kingdom of God. Now here's the last thing. and I want to I show it to you in Joshua uh, 2 in verses 20 and 23. We didn't read this. I'm sorry, I put Joshua. It should be Judges. Let me flip over there. Judges 2, I get Joshua and Judges confused. Judges 2 and 20. I'm going to do a great trick. I'm going to read without my glasses. I told you the Lord is good and strong. Help me, Lord. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me. There's good news in here, I promise you. Listen. Uh, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. I will use them, I'll use these nations to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed these nations to remain. It wasn't His will, but He allowed it. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of of Joshua, he left them there as a test for the next generation. See, God said, I made sure there were still some enemies in the land. I made sure that they didn't run everybody off and give you a safe, easy promised land because I wanted to see if you would follow in their ways. I wanted to see if you would trust in me the way they did. I wanted to see if you would take me at my word. You see, that's the good news that's buried in what sounds like bad news. The good news is God's promises are not just for old people. God's promises are not just for yesterday, just for the previous generation. They are for every generation, including yours. See, God was testing this new generation to see if they would be faithful to the covenant that He made. He had made an agreement, a covenant with that generation that he would go before them and would fight for them and with them and would ensure their success. They had to fight, but they would be victorious. They would never fight alone. And he promised that they would live in this land forever. It didn't end. There was no expiration date on the promise of God. All they had to do was step into the covenant, step into the promises, Step into the ways of the Lord, and He would have been to them what He was to their ancestors. But listen, they refused. They refused. They got their heads turned by what everybody else was doing around them. They said, nah, I think we're okay. I think we're just going to live like everybody else is living, and everything will be okay. Listen, don't settle for less than the best. And the best is Jesus. The best that you can ever hope for in your life is the will of God for your life. 
There's only one source of strength. There's only one source of truth. There's only one source of redemption. There's only one source of righteousness. And it's found in the pages of this book right here. It's worked for centuries. And it'll stand for eternity. Listen, your solutions are not going to be found in how everybody else around you has done it. It won't be found in the mistakes of the past. It won't be found in the man-made institutions and traditions. It'll be found in the firm foundation that was established 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You need to believe His Word, receive His promises, Put your hand on the baton and run with us when, and until it's your turn. Every promise of God is for you, just like it was for me and my parents and their parents before them. And, and, and every promise of God is for you. God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Uh, Bree, come on and, and, and play something. Got myself all worked up and couldn't, couldn't remember where I was. We've got, uh, we've got knockout roses at our house, a bunch of y'all do. And they, they're just, they're really beautiful. Valerie's doing a really great job of babying those things. She speaks to them. She speaks love. And I'm, I'm kidding, she's not talking to them. She's doing everything else but talking to them. She's loving on these things. She's pulling the dead ones off. She's feeding them. And she's doing really, man, they're just doing great with them. And they're, they're gorgeous. But she has discovered a truth that she shared with me uh, this weekend. And it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect analogy for what I'm talking about. She didn't know what I was preaching. She rarely does. She noticed that when the, the blooms happen and the color begins to fade, she, she noticed that behind them there are little buds Sometimes five, six, seven, eight little buds that if you just lift that bloom out of the way, you can see them back there. They're just waiting. They're just waiting. Waiting for the sun. Waiting for some light. Waiting for a chance to, to receive what they need to just bloom and blossom and grow. And when that, she, she's learned to not wait until the poor old thing just completely dies and starts falling off. She's learned to pull those things out of the way a little early so that those five or six or seven others will get to bloom. Sometimes it's even a matter of hours. Sometimes it's the next morning they've already bloomed. Now listen, it's not a perfect analogy, so don't get all caught up in the details and trying to figure stuff out, but, but the principle is what I'm talking about today. Sometimes we get so consumed by the bloom that's on top, we fail to see that there are multiple buds right below the surface that would beautify everything if we just give them a chance to get a little sunlight. Let me ask you this, church. Can we be a church that shines a little bit of light on the ones who are standing in our shadow? Can, can we sort of lean out of the way and give them some sunlight, give them some nourishment? Can, can we be mature enough to make sure our, this whole plant gets stronger and prettier together? Can we do that? Young people or people who have not engaged in the work of the kingdom yet, 
Are you willing to come alongside us and work with us and let us teach you, let us show you some things? Are you willing to learn and work and grow? Are, are, will you learn to, to fight the enemy with us? Are you willing to be bold and courageous and do things that scare you to death but do it for the kingdom of God? Are you willing to stand on the promises of God with us until you realize you're standing on your own two feet? We need everybody in the body of Christ doing everything they can possibly do to go and make disciples and advance His kingdom. So I'm asking you, will you step up today? Will you step up and be a part of the passing of the baton? Why don't you stand with me today? Say, so John, what's the takeaway? What is it I'm supposed to do with this? Well, as Paul said, first, think on these things. Let it soak in. Let it... Let it let it inform all of your decisions, the ways you look at church, the ways you look at what you're doing. Look around you. If, if, you're, if you're active in ministry, look around you and see who you might be able to pull in and show them what you're doing and how you're doing it. Give other people a chance to learn. Many of us have been doing it for a long time and we've learned a whole lot of lessons the hard way. Right? Any stubborn people that has scars on their heads from doing it the hard way let's turn around and give that wisdom to somebody else and say listen you'll make your own mistakes but don't do this <laughs> believe me don't do this and young people listen I don't know if you've ever heard anything like this but I want to tell you you have to step up you can't just go live your life however you want to live it and do whatever you want to do and think God is going to bless it and everything's going to work out. That's not how that works. You do what He blesses. You don't ask Him to bless your mess. You do things the right way. You look up to the people who are doing it right and you say, I, I, don't, I don't love every. They're not perfect. I don't love everything about them, but I love that man. I love that woman and I'm going to, I'm going to learn everything I can for them from them until God puts me where he wants me we've just got to do that today so I'm going to uh, this, this altar is open, it's always open if you want to come and pray about this or about anything else then you come on down here and we'll pray together but, but I want us to pray together right now as, as a congregation then Bree's going to sing us out Father I just pray that that your Holy Spirit would do what only He can do, Lord, that you would show us. We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website at covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.